Good afternoon, 5 o'clock, 30 degrees in the Northeast Kingdom under cloudy skies on this Wednesday, January the 27th. I'm Bob Welch and this is my world. In the headlines, seniors in the Bay State are coming to the same kind of roadblocks and headaches folks elsewhere have had in trying to sign up for a COVID-19 vaccine. A new report says your pooch may have ancient relatives from Siberia. And we'll also try to break down this whole story from Wall Street today about companies without much value soaring like eagles over the past few days. Weather tonight, cloudy with a few flurries, low 18. Tomorrow, cloudy, a few flurries or snow showers possible. Tomorrow's high looks like tonight's low. Tomorrow night, zero. Friday, mostly cloudy, high just 10. Northwest winds, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Saturday, partly cloudy skies with a high of 12. And looking around the region, at uh, 5 o'clock, we have uh, Boston and New York checking in with 36. Brewster up in Putnam County, New York, is checking in with 30. Hartford, Connecticut, 34. Barnstable, Cape Cod, 37. All under cloudy skies. Same thing for Montreal and Albany. They're both checking in with 28. Coming up. An 82-year-old Boston-area man tries to go on a computer to book his COVID shot. The story from the Boston Globe today says 82-year-old Herb Chasen logged on at midnight this morning from his Framingham home hoping to get a COVID-19 vaccination appointment for himself and his 80-year-old wife, Joan, when slots became available for those 75 and up in Massachusetts. They tried a vaccination site in Marlboro, listed on a map of locations provided by the state, but no appointments were available. Nothing was available in Needham either, Chasen said. Slots were available in Springfield, but that's an hour and a half away from Framingham. They waited in a virtual line for an appointment at Hannaford's Waltham location. But 45 minutes later, the market's website said none were available and they tried CVS2, no luck. It's very upsetting, Chasen tells the Boston Globe. The state should have everything lined up. They're ducks in a row. They didn't do squat. Nothing. It's total unnecessary hassle, aggravation, and stress. Chasen was among many seniors in Massachusetts who ran into problems while trying to make vaccination appointments first thing this morning when the Bay State officially embarked on Phase 2 of its COVID-19 vaccination program. The approximately 450,000 people who are 75 and older in Massachusetts are now supposed to be able to register for appointments at scores of immunization sites across Massachusetts with the first shots being administered next Monday. Meanwhile, the presidents of two statewide teachers' unions in Massachusetts and the Boston Teachers' Union Tell the Boston Globe a claim made this week by Governor Charlie Baker's administration that union leaders, quote, oppose going back to the classroom until vaccines for children are developed is misconstrued at best. The statement sent to members of the media yesterday by Executive Office of Education spokeswoman Colleen Quinn came in response to the union leaders' frustration that they were moved down the state's vaccination priority list this week. Union leaders say Quinn's statement is patently false and that their position has always been that educators should be among the first frontline workers to receive vaccines because they often work with kids in confined spaces. They wrote in a joint statement today. While school nurses, therapists, and other behavioral health staff are already eligible for the vaccine in Massachusetts, 
Other educators who are not otherwise eligible due to their age or comorbidities morbidities, will now be prioritized for a coronavirus vaccine after people who are 65 or older. The change has made educators, students, and their families feel as though they are pawns in a chess game, says Mary Najmi. She's president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. She said this in a joint statement from the unions yesterday. She also criticized the state for not having a concrete plan in place to vaccinate public school staff members. During his 25 years as a home inspector in the Boston area, James Brock tells the Boston Globe he's seen pretty much everything you could possibly imagine. At this point, not much else can phase him. Like the time a realtor told him to watch out for the total resistance exercise, or TRX, straps. The homeowner had left hanging from the ceiling in the middle of one of the bedrooms. Not so odd, perhaps, but when Brock walked upstairs with the young buyer, it soon became clear that it was not workout equipment after all. Your imagination can take it from there. From the humorous and bizarre to the downright unbelievable, for years, Brock has been capturing images of surprising scenarios, like the curious harness he encounters each day on the job. He shares those experiences through his Instagram account. Boston Home Inspectors, which has built a strong following for its amusing, at times mind-boggling content, an inside look at the pitfalls of homeownership that's become an online reference for new and prospective buyers. North of the border, the Canada Border Services Agency says officers in southern Alberta made the country's largest ever methamphetamine seizure at a land border crossing last month. Borders closed to non-essential travel, but the agency says in a press release that officers flagged a produce truck, which wouldn't be a problem getting through, for further inspection as it entered Canada from the U.S. at a border crossing on Christmas Day out west along the Alberta-Montana boundary. The Globe and Mail reports Canada Border Services says they found a more than 228 kilograms of meth inside with an estimated street value of $28.5 million. Border agents arrested the driver and handed the investigation over to the RCMP. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police, now the Mounties Integrated Border Enforcement Team, has charged a man from Calgary with importation of a controlled substance and possession for the purpose of trafficking the 38-year-old man, suspect, released from custody January 14th and is to appear in Lethbridge Provincial Court, that is in Alberta, February the 11th. 23,000 years ago, in the cold of the last ice age, some humans found a place where the climate was marginally better, Siberia. A story in the New York Times this week says that while many people associate that region that is now in Russia with forbidding cold today, Climate data, as well as archaeological and DNA evidence, show that this was where horses, mammoths, and other prey animals found enough to eat, which attracted humans and other carnivores. Hemmed in by worse conditions, the humans, some of them the ancestors of Native Americans, were isolated for thousands of years, and so were the wolves with them. It is there, and then, 
that dogs were first domesticated according to a new hypothesis from a group of archaeologists and ancient DNA experts who specialize in the deep history of humans and canines. They published their analysis Monday in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Angela Perry, an archaeologist at Durham University who studies the domestication of dogs, says the hypotheses, the new one, emerged in informal discussions among the authors as they assembled archaeological and DNA data on the peopling of the Americas and the origins of dogs. They came up with an idea that was lurking in the data all along, when that she said, quote, I'm frankly embarrassed we didn't get earlier. You're listening to Bob's World. Here's the simple math that tells you if a stock is worth a buy. Now, I'll have to add this disclaimer for you to consult a person who is registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission or the equivalent regulatory body in your jurisdiction, and that this is not telling you which stock to buy or anything like that. This is the simple math formula we were taught in grad school at Berkeley College and is taught in plenty of other places too, to determine what is called the P.E. or price-earnings ratio. You may hear that term bantied about on your television uh, quite a bit today. The price is divided by the earnings per share. The price, or the P in that formula, is the stock price you could find on your smartphone, computer, or CNBC, or Bloomberg right now that the stock is currently being traded at. Keep that number in mind. Now, for the lower number, the E in this division problem. That's the earnings per share, or what the cost of a share really is, as opposed to the price it's being traded at currently. How do you find this number? You go to CNBC or Bloomberg's website and find the company profile linked to the stock price that you just saw. It will show the publicly reported information, which is mandated for them to disclose every year. You take the reported net income of the company, subtract the dividend if they're paying a dividend, then divide that number by the average outstanding shares of the company which is also public information. It's right there in front of you. So that's your earnings per share, the E in the P-E ratio. Take the stock price that it's currently trading at right now, divide it by the earnings per share. And so if you've got a stock price that's right now $24, and if the earnings per share is 3, you divide the 24 by the 3, and you get 8, which is the P-E ratio. But what's most important for you is to be able to know the gap between the current stock price and what the company is earning for its shareholders. That'll let you know if the company's making money. I'm prefacing that. For the stories I'm about to tell you, as a lot of reporting on a lot of topics, not just business news, is written for people who already have a background in it. And I'm aiming for a general audience. You may not be particularly interested in the topic at all, but it's important because it affects the market. You've got stuff stashed away there. Even even though you may not be actively investing in the stock market, some of the things that you're invested in, like retirement, certain funds, do have a stock market component to it in some cases. So, 
Uh, that's why this is uh, in the news today, because it affects more than what it immediately appears to be affecting. There's other factors to determine whether a stock is a good buy, but when someone talks about the P.E. ratio on the news, you should know what that is and why it's being spoken of. Lots of people are talking about GameStop, the gaming store chain. This is from CNBC today. Shares of GameStop surged again today, continuing the streak of wild swings for the stock as several high-profile short sellers said they had backed away from their positions. The name traded at roughly $337 a share when it was briefly halted shortly after 1 o'clock this afternoon, up by almost 128% from yesterday's close and giving the company a market cap of about $23 billion. The stock traded as high as $380 a share in pre-market trading. You're thinking that's a little nuts? You'd be right. The latest move of higher numbers comes as some of the high-profile short sellers of GameStop, including Melvin Capital and Citroen, announced that they covered most or all of their positions. The stock lost some of its pre-market gains after the short sellers made their announcements, but the shares rebounded to new highs shortly before the market opened. Another item from CNBC, the trading frenzy of all of this, not just GameStop. Now it includes AMC Entertainment. It's another stock that, that flew high today. It all looks familiar to Tilray CEO Brendan Kelly. Some background here on him. Back in 2018, shortly after it went public, the Canadian pot producer's stock was ensnared in a wild short squeeze and rose about 1,400% between July and September of 2018 on an intraday basis. Kennedy was on CNBC's Squawk on the Street today. He said, I've had a little bit of PTSD over the last couple of days. I remember getting five different calls from NASDAQ on a single day about our stock being halted because the short sellers were being squeezed so badly. So as the CEOs of GameStop at AMC now find themselves in a similar yet strange position to what he experienced just a couple of years ago, Kennedy offered a cautionary perspective. He says... My advice to those CEOs would be that, at times like this, your company is not your stock and your stock is not your company. Keep it all in perspective as these very unusual market dynamics are taking place. Flashback to July 2018. Tilray shares hit an intraday low of around 20 bucks before they began to rocket higher and higher. And higher, the stock reached an intraday high of 300 bucks a share in September of that year. Tilray notched its record close of just under 150 bucks in October 2018, but those massive stock gains did not last. The company's shares traded around 19 bucks during Wednesday's session, but they had fallen into single digits during last year's COVID-19 driven marketplace. So recapping here. Shares of GameStop were soaring again today, up more than 100%, even as some high-profile short sellers indicated they had retreated from their positions. The video game retailer's stock is being hyped by investors in online forums, sites like Reddit, causing it to jump from roughly 6 bucks just four months ago 
to around 330 bucks today. That's a gain of some 5,400%. And the company's not making money. It, it's not making money. Now, had they all gone into GameStop's listing on those websites, seen the publicly available information, seen how many shares outstanding, seen the uh, net income for the company, they would have been able to figure out all that and not touch it. What people do in the bathroom is their own business. Yes. <laughs> Story from Globe and Mail. It's kind of related to what I've been mentioning before, which is why I included it. found it fascinating. When they trade stocks from the John, it's a matter of interest to all investors because it suggests an overheated speculative market headed towards a reckoning that will hurt young investors the most that could be best characterized by the apparatus they're sitting on. A fintech company called TradingView surveyed 1,750 Canadian retail investors earlier in January about their trading habits. Almost three-quarters traded from their home office, 58% from their living room, 29% traded from the throne at least once in 2020. Trading from the bathroom suggests an urgency that fits right in with the current state of things in the stock market. Despite the economic uncertainties caused by the pandemic, stocks have been surging. The most speculative stocks, those in the Standard & Poor's TSX Venture Composite on Canada's stock market, were up almost 100% over the past nine months compared with 19% for the Composite and 34% for the S&P 500. Overall, 63% of participants in this poll said they traded more last year as a result of the pandemic. Apparently the board, not to do. So they go trade. This is the special sauce of the stock market's rise. Trading occurring because people are stuck at home with plenty of time to ponder rising stock markets and find ways to participate. One online forum that you'll hear quite often, at least today, Wall Street Bets on Reddit has been responsible for huge recent moves by a number of stocks I've been mentioning here today. On Twitter, website outages at Canadian online brokerages are generating rapid-fire complaints about missed opportunities to make money. This morning, Scotia iTrade, a branch of the Bank of Nova Scotia, was targeted on Twitter by a website outage. Online brokers are choking on demand from their clients, new and old, to speak to live representatives about matters ranging from account setup, money transfers, and trades. You know that cannabis craze a couple of years ago caused a minor version of this backup, but the last time brokers were so gridlocked was the tech bubble. That was 1999 to 2000. A stock market crash ensued. Today is Wednesday, January 27th, the 27th day of 2021. There are 338 days left in the year. Birthdays, musician Nick Mason of Pink Floyd is 77. From the Ronettes, R&B singer Nedra Talley is 75. Ballet star Mikhail Baryshnikov is 73. Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court John Roberts is 66. Iron Maidens, 
Jenik Gers is 64, and political sports commentator, political and sports commentator Keith Oberman is 62. Country singer Tracy Lawrence is 53, and if you're from the Boston area, you can note that it has been seven years since legendary WCVB Channel 5 anchor Chet Curtis had passed away. He was a legend. And I think, I think he's responsible for the uh, television visibility of historian Doris Kearns Goodwin. In 1880, Thomas Edison received a patent for his electric incandescent lamp. 1901, opera composer Giuseppe Verdi died in Milan, Italy, aged 87. In World War II, in 1944, the Soviet Union announced the complete end of the deadly German siege of Leningrad, which had lasted for more than two years. In 1945, Soviet troops liberated the Nazi concentration camps Auschwitz and Birkenau in Poland. 1967, astronauts Virgil I. Gus Grissom and Edward H. White and Roger B. Chafee died in a flash fire during a test aboard their Apollo spacecraft. 1962, Queen of Gospel, Mahala Jackson, died in Evergreen Park, Illinois. She was 60. The Vietnam Peace Accords were signed in Paris in 1973. In 1981, President Ronald Reagan and his wife Nancy greeted the 52 former American hostages released by Iran at the White House. In 1984, Michael Jackson suffered serious burns to his scalp when pyrotechnics set his hair on fire during the filming of a Pepsi-Cola television commercial at the Shrine Auditorium in L.A. In 1998, First Lady Hillary Rodham Clinton on the Today Show charged the sexual misconduct allegations against her husband, President Bill Clinton, that they were the work of a vast right-wing conspiracy. In 2006, Western Union delivered its last telegram. 2010, Apple Chief Executive Steve Jobs unveiled the iPad tablet computer during a presentation in San Francisco. J.D. Salinger, the reclusive author of The Catcher in the Rye, died in Cornish, New Hampshire, aged 91. Ten years ago, Tens of thousands of Yemenis demanded their president step down, taking inspiration from Tunisians' revolt. They vowed to continue until their U.S.-backed government fell. And Homeland Security Secretary Janet Napolitano announced that color-coded terror alerts would be phased out by late April 2011. This is Bob's World. Now something for last, a New York man who lost his high school class ring during a walk in the park was reunited with the ring. Eleven years later, thanks to the daughter of the man who found it, Joe Castro Giovanni, said he hadn't yet graduated from Valley Stream North High School when he lost his ring during a walk in Halls Pond Park in West Hampstead, Long Island. He tells the Long Island Herald, The ring was always a little loose, and it must have just slipped off my finger. I didn't notice it was gone until I got home. I went back that same evening to search for it, but couldn't find it. 
The ring was picked up by Robert and Grace Kopeck during a walk through the park. Robert Kopeck said the ring spent more than a decade in a drawer in his house until his daughter Lauren offered to help him find the owner on social media. Lauren Kopeck contacted the Valley Stream North Spartans account on Instagram, which led athletic director Michael Frazier to solicit help from Tom Schiavo, who was head coach of the football team in 2009. Schiavo contacted another player from the same period who remembered the number on the ring. 57 was Kester Giovanni's jersey number. Bob's World for Wednesday, January the 27th. And remember... The Talkback line is always available 24-7-802-467-0212. For you to leave a thought on any of the stories you hear on this program, there's instructions when you call as to what to do. Your feedback may be put on a future edition. I'm Bob Welch. Thanks for listening. <laughs>